Hello and welcome to another episode of Rosenberg and Estes' podcast, Inside RE. My name is Adam Sanders. I'm a member in the firm's transaction department, specializing in acquisition sales, financing, joint ventures, opportunity zones, and local law 97. My guest today is Michael Feldman. Michael is the co founder and CEO of Choice New York Companies, Choice NY Property Management LLC, Golden Choice Property Management, Staffing by Choice and home by choice real estate brokerage. Together, these companies provide an array of third-party real estate services, such as property management, building staffing, and residential brokerage for medium and large-scale buildings in New York City. We are thrilled to have him today, and I am especially thrilled because he's a, he's a fellow Marylander, and as well, as well, we are both second-generation colleagues as our fathers worked together many years ago. Welcome, Michael Feldman. Pleasure to be here. Yes. So. Michael, let's let's start off first of all. So you 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 grew you helped to grow and then and and grew a property management company. So why don't you first kind of explain how you got into property management and kind of those first few steps you took to the point you realized you could start buying uh, or at least merging or or developing into a larger company. Yeah, well, that's a typical question, long answer, but I, I go ahead. I was moving from LA, I was in the movie business, the shorter version, uh, doing production work on major Hollywood films. Uh, and everyone said it's so different to come from, you know, Hollywood business, movie business to property management. But to me, it was very similar because I was doing location scouting there, first production assistant location scouting, which is a lot of logistics. It's what I call high, high, high volume task management, um, as opposed to like developer client who's, you know, looking at 400 deals to do one, um, I get to cross off a lot of things from my to-do list every day. And um, uh, so for me, it, it felt like a similar skill set. but the way I got into it was really just unabated fear and uh, unbridled de desperation. I mean, it was 2009, there was no jobs, uh, no one hiring. And um, I just thought, you know, I knew that sexier businesses like movie business or real estate in New York are very competitive. So I thought, what's sort of the, uh, you know, less or least sexy side of the business, if you will, and what has uh, recurring revenue, uh, which was management. And uh, that's the short version of how I started. Okay. So. Once you, so you started obviously pre COVID and you're still in the business post COVID. What are the largest kind of differences that you see now um, between relationships and tenants um, and just the management of the buildings? Anything that you, that, that's a big difference that you're seeing? Uh, the biggest pragmatic difference is definitely uh, having board meetings via Zoom or Google Meets or. Microsoft Teams. I mean, uh, it just, it, it really was a, it's a big difference for the property managers who, you know, historically, maybe you have one meeting at six o'clock, having one at 830, one at nine, you know, and you're, you're done at 11 o'clock and then the emails are, your inbox is full again at 8 a.m. So uh, just being able to, especially with, you know, the seasons and it's hot, it's cold, it's snowing, it's freezing rain. Um, it's just, the travel time, um, 
being able to have supers take videos and save you a, a, a site visit needlessly, um, you know, it can really uh, make a difference and puts negative downward pressure on payroll. How's your interaction with tenants changed uh, since COVID? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm out of the operation, so I'm not interacting with a lot of residents. Although I still take their calls and try to help them out uh, when I can. But um, I think it's just, it's, you know, COVID essentially, there weren't a lot of trend buckers, right? Almost all trends just were magnified during COVID, right? The wealth gap, uh, uh, you know, remote work. Um, the only exception to that was a, a deceleration of urbanization, 300 years of urbanization or, or 8,000 years, depending on how you look at it. Um, so I just think it just continued the assault of the age of the consumer where the expectation levels are that much higher. Um, and, you know, people are paying more money than ever for rent in New York City, obviously. Um, the housing market really has not, you know, volumes down, but the prices are, are pretty steady considering uh, in terms of the residential housing. So um, the result is, you know, people are expecting even more when they're paying more and they should, they deserve it. But uh, I think that's the biggest thing I would see is just their their service level expectations have, have continued to accelerate. Okay, over over the past you know five or six years, um, I've seen a, a a lot of consolidations with property managers. I know tenants get letters uh, informing them of this, um, and I know that you know you were part of, of of becoming much larger during this period, maybe even a little preceding that. What can you say about what drove that? Um, is it is it that it like you like how you got into it? It was just an area you felt that you know you could be competitive. Um, what drove the consolidation of current property managers where it seems like there are less of them and much larger ones? I think there's a lot of drivers. I think um, for a lot of sellers, the biggest thing is obviously the money. I think it's disingenuous to not say that first and foremost. But, you know, it's a type of business that's very difficult to operate and highly investable. Um, it's highly investable because you have cocktail of, you know, recurring revenue, recurring revenue that's very sticky, uh, even though the contracts are cancelable without cause, 30 days notice, 60 days notice, it's a um, high retention rate of clients. So recurring revenue with high retention rate, deconcentrated customer base, so you don't have a lot of risk with any one customer, high collection rate, which is a divergence versus a lot of physical businesses trades, you know, plumbing, electricians, et cetera, they're always struggling to collect. We don't have that issue. And then you have um, virtually no risk as generally service businesses have very little risk because you can, your biggest cost is payroll. So if you ever do lose business, you can always right size your expenses. Um, but the biggest thing is there's really no existential risk, right? There's no technological disruption in the, you know, short to intermediate or even, you know, Let's say for my career length, I don't see technology. I know people are trying, but um, replacing the business. Um, if anything, I see it as a, a tailwind where uh, you're going to have, you know, negative pressure again on payroll. Overall, payroll's way up, of course, but um, 
it's a downward pressure, it's a mitigator, because uh, you know our, our employees can work more efficiently. That that part of it, it's highly investable. It's also very fragmented. The average uh, property management company has like four W-2 employees. Um, the two largest players in the space in the continent um, are well under 50% market share, which is unusual for a, a big market. Um, so, you know, you just have that combination of a difficult business to operate where if you throw a lot of, uh, hold up a lot of money in front of a seller uh, and it's a highly investable business that's very attractive for, uh, you know, with scale, it's a, it's a good combination for consolidation. So let's talk about the prototypical building that you, that you, uh, currently manage. Um, what, what can you describe that? Because, you know, that's part of our challenge is we have quite an eclectic portfolio. Okay. Um, most of our competitors, that really the history of property management as a business, right, was not corporate, you know, real estate was limited to commercial, not multifamily. Multifamily was considered mom-pa real estate. Technology over time has changed that, um, where it's a lot easier to track 20,000 units than it than it used to be. Think about just communicating with residents uh, now with email and text and and all the, all this stuff. It's way easier to track and financially analyze, et cetera. So, um, but in New York specifically, a lot of the management companies you have today are really um, the the children and the grandchildren, literally and figuratively, of uh, a generation where you had multifamily owners, uh, late seventies throughout the eighties who were converting buildings to co-ops and they were keeping the management as a way to protect their unsold shares and just look after them. But as an afterthought that it would be one, one day those contracts would be worth something. Okay. Based on something you had just touched on, you mentioned that, um, you felt that, uh, a lot of the prior property management companies were developed off of prop families that own buildings and, right. and kind of, you know, use it as a way to consolidate the revenue coming in as well as protect uh, maybe some some outstanding shares. Um, I, I've seen a trend recently where a lot of those properties have sold as part of um, consolidations uh, for new developments. Um, are you now what, seeing kind of those owners leave the market and property as their property management companies as well um, and, and becoming these kind of large developments? Um, well, first of all, I mean, with 421 expiring, uh, I don't think you're going to see a lot of new shovels on the ground. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it, the new construction is a niche of ours, one of our many niches. Um, a lot of our formidable competitors don't do not touch new construction. It's a really tough, um, whether it's multi or new construction condos, in particular the condos, because it's just a tough combination. You have Developer hires us or hires the property management company. And uh, meanwhile, uh, the board, once the sponsors takes over and you're associated for better or usually for worse with, with the developer. And so they didn't hire you. So it's just very hard to stay on. And meanwhile, it's, it's uh, not true. It's not so easy to build a building. So the easiest time to operate a building is probably year three to your 10 of the lifespan of the building when all the kinks have been worked out before you're at the useful end of the useful life of any major 
mechanicals. And so uh, the first the first guy in has a tough job. I just had lunch with a, a friendly competitor and he said, we don't touch them. He goes, you want to be the second guy in, which is a good way to, to summarize it. So then what drives you to, to be the first? Um, is it kind of a, a experience in where you've been retained? Um, or is it just like, you know, get in, get in while you can and just do your best? Um, more the latter than the former. I think, yeah. you know, we started with rentals. My original co-founder um, was, was very financially oriented and more on the for-profit side of residential real estate. Um, and so I just think we have a, a good way of talking with developers and speaking their language, maybe more than more so than some of our competitors. But also, yeah, I mean, we have the staffing business where we provide supers, handy persons, door persons, concierge, security, uh, et cetera. And so with those new construction buildings, you get a high level of service, often comes with 24-7 door attendance. And so it's a big contract for us. And that's really a, a differentiator from virtually all of our competitors here locally. So we have that competitive advantage and it's more pronounced on those kinds of accounts. Okay, so when do you first get engaged? Do you get engaged while uh, before the shovel on the ground, or well onto when the building's been constructed? Um, and 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 what what at what point is better for you? I mean, like most service businesses, the earlier the better, right? Yeah. You want to, it's competitive, it's highly competitive, so you want to get in early. Usually, we're, we've already developed a relationship with that developer over a period of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, the time of this, uh, we're filming this, it's been raining for four straight days in New York. So it's kind of like, when did Noah build the ark? <laughs> before the storm, before the storm. So, uh, you know, we definitely get involved. Uh, we usually do the Schedule B work, and then we consult a lot on the Schedule A work, yeah. uh, which is in the offering, of course. Yeah. And that, that's, uh, you know, we're, we're involved well before typically construction stuff. Okay, so obviously you you know you helped build this company, so there's a huge entrepreneurial side in you. Um, talk a little bit about what drives you, and you know if it's not if it's not real estate, if it's not property management, um, what drives you to 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 create a company and and keep operating? Um, I think fear is is something that all entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs need to have. Uh, if you're not afraid a little bit, fear is the best motivator, try to breathe that in. It's hard you know, when you're not afraid. Um, but I think, uh, you know, look, the way I started, I answered the first part of your question, but uh, the first group I got hired on, uh, I was living on my brother's futon, you know, <laughs> younger than me, in Fortin, New Jersey, and I didn't have a job. The world was crumbling all around as far as uh, the financial world, me and brothers, et cetera. Met these three owners from uh, cardiology practice. They had bought three uh, properties, small properties, five units. And uh, they said, Tell us about your business. And I said, Well, I started it 10 minutes ago. And they were like, What? <laughs> yeah, they're like, Oh, did you leave a big management company? And I said, No, I have zero experience, no experience whatsoever. And they were, they were aghast. We were meeting at, we met at the, uh, what was then called the Trump Soho. And uh, and I said, oh, wait, they were like getting up to leave. I'm like, number one, 
you haven't heard my pitch. I'm like, I'm gonna, number one, we're going to work hard. We'll be our only client to start, right? Number two, we think we're reasonably bright. We know we're honest. Um, and by the way, we'll do it for free. And, and, you know, we've looked at your financials. It looks like you could use that right about now. And so that was how we got hired. First, first. Yeah, that sounds pretty unorthodox of a yeah. pitch yeah. that I've heard. Um, then at what point, so, you, so you, you take a huge risk, okay? And as an attorney, you know, most attorneys are, are, are very risk adverse. So to me, to hear that, you've taken a huge risk. You've kind of thrown it down. At what point did you realize, I got this? You know, and, and, and it may have been like a year, two years down where you're like, I got this. We're going to keep growing this. Uh, I didn't feel secure until the day I sold the business and the wire hit my account. I never felt I always felt uncomfortable. You're always anticipating if you're a good entrepreneur, uh, as you know, I'm the son of an attorney. Yeah, I tend to think risk first. Uh, I think it's a real uh, misconception that good entrepreneurs are considered risk takers. I don't consider myself a risk taker. Okay. Uh, the way I look at it is most humans in this country, uh, if you did a risk level of one to 10, most of you guys are living at one, 1 1.5, two, right? All I'm doing is living at three. I'm not at nine or 10, right? I'm not the guy like, you know, doing wild stunts and stuff. I'm just taking a little more risk than, than most people. But to me, they're calculated risks, and they're um, they're they're over a long period of time. Those risks will pay off. Not all of them will pay off, but most of them. And so I don't I don't even you know if you think about it like from venture capital, they they're most venture capital firms are are doing six percent of their deals, right? If they're professional venture capitalists, um, they just have to hit big, you know, get a fifty x on one deal. So I I don't. Play in that world but like the way i look at it i'm i'm taking a lot of good risks that are likely to pay off some of them won't but you know i don't i don't want to i'm always going to leave my wallet if i go downstairs from the hotel room and i realize i left my wallet out i will never go back and get that and put it in the safe room i'll never put my passport in the safe to me that's an inconvenience that 999 times out of a thousand that passport will be there and the time involved, the hassle to go back up, to call the restaurant or, you know, go online, tell the restaurant you're running late, tell the other couple you're running late, feel the angst. I'd rather have my passport stolen once. And when it gets stolen, my heart rate does not change. I'm aware that I took that risk and that most of the time it will pay off. I'm aware it's going to stink that time, but that's just how I orient to the world. I want to go back to uh, something you mentioned a little, little earlier. Uh, talking about technology, that there's been certain limitations within the property management, um, you know, technology and various apps have been introduced. And then you touched upon the fact that you said it's still easier with technology to track larger pools of tenants. Right. So what, because I've seen, you know, I've gone to, to, to vendor conferences and stuff and, 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 you know, you've got the ICSC and there's, there's a lot of vendors pitching uh, new technology apps and, and it's very entrepreneurial area. Are you, are there any on the horizon? Like what, what are you seeing that could develop? And maybe is there something, is there an area within technology that you're just waiting for someone to create? Yeah, I mean, I think AI is the operative term right now, but if, if we can cut down, if the AI can get good enough or we can cut down on human interaction, okay. it has to get really good. 
I don't think it's good enough yet because it's not what the customer wants, right? The customer, I also said earlier that the, it's the age of the consumer, the consumer service expectations are higher than ever, but technology is, is the McDonald's, you know, it's not going to make the best burger, but it's cheaper and faster, right? So, um, it's not technology. AI is not saying we're going to be better than Adam Sanders at, at, at editing a contract. I would, I'd always pay a lot more for Adam Sandler, Sanders than for AI. But if I can get AI a certain amount cheaper, it becomes more attractive, right? So what I'd like to see is something like chat GBT, which I know some of my colleagues both here and elsewhere use, um, but I like, you, you, you have to use it and then still edit it, right? So I'd like to get it to a point where it could be chat bots. It could be, you know, where, where it's not, we're not Bank of America, right? So if you go on a chat with Bank of America, you're expecting a certain service level. That's not what we're trying to provide. We're trying to provide people are expecting for their high price shelter, you know, white glove service. So that doesn't jive well with AI where it is now, but I'd love to see it get a little farther along. So where do you see yourself developing, uh, you know, the, the, your companies over the next few years right now? I mean, I think it's um, still very ripe for acquisition. Our debt is locked in. Um, but even with higher debt, you know, it's different than real estate. Mm -hmm. You're talking about an operating business. Real estate people are borrowing 60%, 80%. Uh, on the private equity side, on the strategic domestic side, you can borrow a lot more because you have, you know, cash flow um, that's more liquid, right? Real estate, you have to sell the building. Um, so, you know, multiples are still uh, very attractive, right? A seller can sell for three, depending on the scale, three, six, 10 times um, what their business is worth. And if you look at where our public company, uh, the public company that's our main competitor is, uh, you know, they're, they're trading for many, many times more than that. So that's a big arbitrage where um, I bought, acquired, uh, first eight years we grew organically. The years directly before I sold, we, we grew inorganically uh, as well as organically. And that's what we continue to do um, in my role as uh, trying to acquire competitors here uh, locally. Okay, so based on uh, what you're just talking about, how do you see yourself when you describe um, what you do? Do you, are you, do you say property management or do you say private equity? Well, we're... I mean, private equity gets tossed around, right? So yes. we're a private company. So is that private money? Sure. But I mean, it's not private equity in the sense that uh, the only companies that uh, sell to us and the only companies we buy are property management or related type of businesses. Uh, so they might have a brokerage component. They might have a building staffing component. They might have a maintenance component, et cetera. But, um, we're really only looking to buy. That's the only space we know. The founder of the parent company was a property manager and ran a property management company for decades before you started really uh, aggressively buying companies. So, um, yeah, I would say we're, we're technically a domestic strategic based in the U.S. and we're a strategic player. So you're looking to do vertically in integrate and then combine a bunch of companies into kind of not combined. Yeah, not mm -hmm. combined. It's it's um, 
everyone says that. It's, okay. It makes sense, uh, sort of conceptually on a superficial level, but the property management business has so much friction. And I, I've seen this firsthand that when I, when I combined operations, it was brutal. Um, you ultimately, you're going to lose either a client you really don't want to lose or an employee you don't really want to lose or some combination of the two. There's no way out of that. And so, and then you think about, as we discussed, it's such a payroll heavy, 85 cents of every dollar we spend is on payroll. 75 cents of every gross dollar we make is on payroll. So that's before technology, before insurance, before marketing and advertising, before uh, office expenses, before all of that, and then, and then before profit, we've already spent 75 cents on employer burden. So um, ultimately, uh, we really need to find creative ways to keep our staff down. Uh, so you're seeing a flight of virtual employees for entry-level positions and uh, yeah. So it sounds like a balance between economies of scale and allowing these companies to maintain their own independence to avoid yeah, their- It's really not, there's, it's really mostly the latter because okay. uh, you're not, you're not, you know, if we combine there's five companies, I think going on six, not on wood, uh, you know, uh, here in New York City. Uh, and if we combine, we'd save a little bit on office expense. Office expense has gotten way cheaper. We'd save maybe on a receptionist or two. We'd still need the same number of property managers, the same number of property accounts. And actually our company tried doing this previously years ago and it didn't work well, the parent company. So it's a very different model than our main competitor uh, in that they just let successful businesses continue to be successful. It's not an expense reduction. It's uh, it's really on the capital side, as I alluded to, where, uh, you know, the scale itself makes the business worth more. Said differently, the same amount of profit, if you can aggregate it, is worth, makes the business worth a lot more than if that profit is divided up into different entities. Okay, so uh, let's wrap this up and I'm gonna go to, to something more to where we grew up and ask you two quick rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. Nationals or Orioles? Orioles. Still an Orioles fan, okay. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I grew up there were no Nationals, so. Yeah, exactly. uh, it's a little easier this year, but it's also just, you know, I love New York, so I like that part of the Yankees, but uh, yeah. but I don't want to say I like the Yankees. I, I, you know, <laughs> I get I, it. You know, yeah. Okay. Commanders or Washington football team? That's like choosing between uh, two horrible options, but <laughs> I'm thinking of, a, of an inappropriate metaphor, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I would go with the Washington football team. And I, I would further say that I would not be surprised to see them change the name. Before. Yeah, I, th I think you're right there. I think they'll eventually change it again. But as a fan of the Nationals and the Commanders, um, you know, I I'm definitely a homer. So um, anyway, uh, again, I want to thank Michael Feldman for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, below in the notes, you'll be able to see... Uh, his information and ways you can contact him if you have any questions, as well as my contact information if you have any questions as well. Thank you very much and uh, happy that you keep responding to the podcast. Take care.